You know, why is it we find sometimes that some believers, certainly ourselves included, at one point maybe the fire of God was really burning brightly in our lives and there was a real passion and maybe we were on fire, we might say, for the Lord, but now maybe that's just kind of a small flicker and the flame is kind of diminished or is dying out or what maybe does the believer do when, let's say, maybe we genuinely sense a, a lack of power in our spiritual life or maybe a lack of love from God that we once had or a lack of self-control. Well, God gives to us, I believe, answers regarding those questions in our passage this morning in these verses. We learn here about our spiritual responsibility as well as God's spiritual provision and what God supplies as the answer to those things for us. Remember the background as we began 2 Timothy last week. Paul has just been expressing to Timothy sort of some introductory comments. He was thanking God that he saw in Timothy's life this genuine and sincere faith and commitment to the Lord, especially in a time when many were departing from the faith in this time historically and many were abandoning and compromising because of the pressures of persecution and that it was difficult in this time to be a faithful believer. And uh, Timothy's sincere commitment was refreshing to Paul. Uh, it brought great encouragement to Paul the Apostle to see this genuine faith in Timothy. And so Paul's wanting to challenge Timothy to keep burning brightly for the Lord, to keep faithfully serving there in Ephesus where he's now pastoring a church uh, that it seems Paul had planted and Timothy had taken over at some point. And he wants him to remain an influential believer. So he's going to give to Timothy here, we see, sort of a reminder and a charge, an exhortation that Timothy would remember the importance of staying on fire for God and remaining effective for the Lord. So as we look at this together, the first really major thing we see, particularly in verse 6 here, is Paul reminds Timothy of his responsibility of personal spiritual maintenance, you might say. Uh, he's reminding Timothy of his own responsibility of personal spiritual maintenance. Look with me again in our text, verse 6. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, remember, Paul had just been commending Timothy for his sincere and great devotion for God and towards the Lord. And yet now in the very next breath here, as he goes on in the letter, he's exhorting Timothy to take care of his spiritual condition and to make sure he maintains his spiritual condition before God. Now, when we use the word maintain, again, remember, the idea there is to keep something in its existing state to keep something from declining or uh, from failing in some way. And most things, whether living things or things that we use, cars, machines, all these things require a level of maintenance. Everything does. Marriages require maintenance. Our lives require maintenance. Things we use require maintenance. So even as it's necessary to personally be conscious of and maintain, for example, our spiritual health and we have to do or physical health excuse me we have to do certain things to maintain our physical health 
The same applies spiritually to our spiritual lives. We have to do certain things and remain conscious of and personally responsible to maintain our spiritual health. In fact, in 1 Timothy, the first book, chapter 4, Paul spoke there about exercising ourselves towards godliness. And he uses that metaphor, exercise yourself. Put in some time in the spiritual gym, he's saying. You have to exercise yourself towards spiritual godliness. He talked there about nourishing ourselves with the things of faith. And, and he talked there about not neglecting and being careful to neglect. And, and understanding human weakness, Paul the Apostle being a Christian for a great deal of time by this point. And as well, understanding the wear and tear, listen, of serving other people. Because Paul did this predominantly with his life as a missionary and a pastor and, and understanding Timothy was doing this and just the genuine wear and tear of caring for others and serving people. Paul has a concern now for Timothy's spiritual condition, for the condition of his soul. And so because of that here, aware perhaps that Timothy's spiritual fire was maybe diminishing a little bit or his spiritual zeal and enthusiasm for God's work that maybe once was burning quite a bit more bright, was maybe starting to diminish a little bit and grow cold and fade, he now challenges Timothy here in verse 6 to remember his spiritual calling and to rekindle his spiritual fire. He says there in verse 6, Timothy, I'm reminding you, you have to stir up, he says. Stir up. And we'll talk in a bit what that means. To stir up the gift of God, he says, reminding him what he had received from God when Paul and some others had been praying over his life. Now, as we look at verse 6 here, what is this, verse 6 says, gift of God that's in Timothy that Paul's particularly referring to here? Well, again, the best commentary in the Bible, we always say, is the Bible itself. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul there said to Timothy in his first letter, Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership, the spiritual leaders in the church. So it seems what had happened is that as Paul and the spiritual leaders, the elders of the church, were laying hands on Timothy, Perhaps it is ordination or kind of recognizing his spiritual calling before the congregation that at that moment as they were laying hands on him and praying for God's hand, that was the idea, symbolically laying hands, praying for God's hand to be upon his life, to enable him with supernatural power for his service, to use him and to bless him, that in that time of prayer, it seems that a prophecy came forth. That someone spoke a prophetic word about Timothy's life and ministry. And in the midst of that moment, God deposited into Timothy's spiritual account a spiritual gifting. A gifting from the Holy Spirit that came into his life. It's interesting the word gift that's used here in verse 6 is where we get our English word charisma. And sometimes we talk about a person, we say that person, boy, they're very charismatic or they have a lot of charisma. And the idea there, the Greek term that's used, speaks of extraordinary power or enablement with a special grace. And what this describes here is a, a supernatural enablement from God to serve him. A supernatural enablement from God to serve him and to be influential in some gifting in a way that would bless others and serve God's purposes. So... This could be here what's referred to in verse 6, the gift of God in Timothy's life. Paul could be referring 
maybe to a specific spiritual gift or gifts, plural, that maybe God had deposited into Timothy's life. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, describe a multitude of different spiritual gifts graces that God gives to particular believers. We have different gifts that God gives to us in the body of Christ to exercise. So it could be a reference to that, maybe the gift of teaching in Timothy's life or whatever that gift may have been, or gifts, plural. It could be a reference here to just the special calling that made Timothy, in a sense, a gift to the church. Ephesians 4 speaks about God calling apostles and pastors and teachers and evangelists, individuals who become gifted by God's spirit to be a blessing and a gift to help the body of Christ and to minister to people. Or this gift of God could also be maybe just a inference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came upon Timothy's life as they were praying for him and laying hands upon him in that moment. You notice that when this gifting came into his life, it says here, verse 6, it was when he was having hands laid upon him and receiving prayer. And this was often a pattern. We see it in the book of Acts in the early church. In Acts 6, it tells us they laid hands on and prayed for the seven men who were appointed really as deacons in the church there for the ministry that God had given to them. They laid hands on them, recognized them, and were praying over them. In Acts chapter 8, Peter and John, we see them laying hands upon the Samaritan believers. And it says that the Holy Spirit, as they're praying for them, came upon them in power in that moment. Again, Acts chapter 13, as Saul is being sent out together with Barnabas, Paul the apostle and Barnabas, going out on their missionary endeavor, it says that they laid hands on them, prayed over them, and then they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. As well, we read in Acts 19, another occasion where Paul's praying for believers in Ephesus, again, laying hands upon them. And as he's laying hands upon them, again, the idea is symbolically that the hand of God we wish upon you is that, that the Holy Spirit came upon them and baptized them with power in a special way. So this happened in Timothy's life, and we understand with these pieces, putting them together, Again, it is the Holy Spirit of God who enables us as a believer to be effective for the Lord, to be influential for God. And for Timothy, this gift of God is a reference clearly to some degree of the work of the Spirit of God happening through his life. And it's just referred to as the, the gift of God poured out into his life. Again, Acts chapter 8, when it describes the empowerment of the Holy Spirit there, it's actually referred to with this same term, the gift of God. Jesus, remember himself, said on one occasion, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit as a gift to those who ask? So, Timothy has experienced this and Paul's referring to the work of God's spirit in his life. And we're going to notice what Paul does is he uses interesting talking about the work of God's spirit in Timothy's life. He uses the imagery of a fire which needs to be routinely maintained and stirred up or stoked, if you would, to keep it burning at full blaze. Now, to me, that's interesting because in the Bible, we do see metaphorically the work of God's spirit in our lives being referred to with the analogy or metaphor of a fire. Remember John the Baptist speaking about Jesus 
said of Jesus what he would do in our lives. He said that Jesus would baptize us with the Spirit and fire. He shall baptize you, John said there, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So again, this picture of the Spirit of God coming upon the life of a person and how it would bring something like with the effect of a fire. Now, regarding the work of God's Spirit in Timothy's life, it seems from what we read where Paul told him, don't neglect back in chapter four of, verse, or chapter four of the first letter. And now here again, another reminder, stir up the gift of God. It seems something in Timothy, like you and I, made him at times prone to maybe kind of neglecting, if you would, his spiritual gifting and calling from the Lord. Maybe it was sometimes fear that crept into his life, intimidation. Maybe it was just carelessness and neglect. So Paul's instructing here not to forget to maintain this gift of God's work that was taking place through his life. He uses the term there, verse 6, look at it. He says, stir up the gift of God. The idea is to stoke. It, it's translated in some versions, fan into flame or kindle afresh. Uh, J.B. Phillips' version of the New Testament is translated this, I encourage you to stir up the inner fire that God gave you. The term that's used there, stir up, it, it's a compound phrase in the Greek of three words, life, fire, and again. And so in a sense, it could be translated Bring to life the fire of God once again. That's the idea being used here, the imagery in this, to revive the flame, rekindle and resuscitate the fire. And it's in the present tense, to keep stirring up the fire of God in your life on a regular basis. Now, as we think of that by way of illustration, if any of you have a fireplace or have used a fireplace before or a campfire, we know that no fire in and of itself is self-sustaining. When you first start a fire, it burns bright and it burns hot. But then after a while, that fire will gradually ultimately begin to diminish. It's what happens in the physical sense. So how does a fire diminish or die out? When it's ignored, right? When it's neglected, when it's not tended to, when it's not stirred up, when there's not extra fuel added to it so part of maintaining and keeping a good fire going is you have to pay attention to the flame if you see it starting to diminish you can't ignore you got to pay attention to how it's burning part of maintaining a fire is stoking it you know stirring it up i have a fire pit in my backyard burn brush there a lot and you got to go over and move it around and let fresh air come across it so it continues to to keep going and of course, like any fire, you know, adding routinely fuel onto it. Well, that becomes the analogy the Bible's giving here for the inner fire of God's spiritual work in our life. That we sort of have to do the same. By nature, uh, my spiritual fire, it doesn't seem to be self-sustaining. Uh, I found in my own Christian life, my spiritual passion and fervency, can, it can just kind of diminish at times. You know, the world and my sinful flesh and the devil are all constantly trying to dampen my passion for serving Jesus. Whether it's living for the Lord with God's fire burning bright in my life or serving the Lord with passion and fire and enthusiasm. And we all know this experience. If you know the Lord this morning, perhaps when a person, you know, you're first saved and we, we use the term, right? Boy, I was on fire for God, man. And when you're first saved, you're you know, enthusiastic and you're just burning passionately for the Lord. But then time goes on and something 
and things begin to happen, it kind of just starts to dampen out. And we find ourselves maybe not as on fire for the Lord as we once were at a time in our past. Well, that's not a good thing. Or maybe we begin to serve the Lord and somebody's just really with great passion and burning enthusiasm. They want to be in ministry and they want to serve the Lord. They don't want to just come and sit and be a pew potato and intake and intake and then you become like the Dead Sea. All you have is an inlet. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And just in, in, in. And nothing wrong. We need to be nourished. We need to worship. But all they have is an inlet and so they become like the Dead Sea. There's no life. The Sea of Galilee is fresh because it has an inlet and it has an outlet. And we need the same as believers. And so sometimes we can begin to be very passionate serving the Lord. Maybe we're really on fire and doing ministry, but then, you know, we get distracted with things. And all of a sudden, life and responsibilities and making money and getting the next car, the nicer house, and all of a sudden, we see people, I've seen it over the years, you know, years and years, you know, 20 plus years now of ministry where people, and then all of a sudden, they just, the the pursuit becomes something else, the American dream, and all of a sudden, they're not serving the Lord no more. They may have time to still come to church, but serving the Lord, I mean, I'll come to church, but I mean, listen, I got to get ahead of my career here. And the fire begins to go out to really use their gifting and serve the Lord. Well, at times we need to pay attention just like a natural fire to the fire of God and what's its condition in our life. And maybe like a fire physically, we need to do some things to kind of stoke up our spiritual fire, if you would. And just like you stoke a fire, you you move things around, you change the conditions of things so that the wind can blow across it. Maybe we need to change some things up sometimes in our lives, in our, in our habits that we need to evaluate. Hey, my fire is not what it should be. And maybe we need to adjust some things in our life and habits to let the Holy Spirit of God work in a fresh way in our life. That may mean adjusting our schedule so that we actually start having a devotional time again. And that being busy does not become the top priority in our life. Spending time with Jesus first is our priority. And maybe we need to adjust our schedule, not do something else so that we can read our Bible and pray and have some quiet time alone with God. Maybe we need to alter some things so that we can be in times of worship and consistently be with God's people where the wind of God's Spirit moves and the Lord brings passion and fervency into our lives as we assemble with God's people or maybe altering even how we have our personal devotional time. I know periodically I do that on occasion. I will alter what I even do during my quiet time alone with God just so it doesn't become religious. So, so it becomes fresh and just something where it's meaningful to me and sometimes we have to do that. And again, like any fire, you stoke it and you add fuel on the fire of God and the fuel of the things of the Spirit is the Word of God and spending time in prayer. It's interesting. Remember Jeremiah talking about God's Word? He said it burned like a fire in his bones. And when, when did the fire of God fall? When Elijah did what? When he prayed. He prayed and the fire of God came down on the sacrifice. And so these are things we have to be conscious of in our lives. This morning, how's your spiritual fire? Whether it's burning or whether it's beginning to diminish and very low, we have a responsibility before God to stoke up the fire of the Lord within our lives on occasion, to do spiritual maintenance. Perhaps today God's calling you to stir up the gift of God within you once again, to seek to be on fire the way you once were. Well, in verse 7 here, next Paul reminds Timothy of his need 
to recognize and respond to God's spiritual provision for him, to the spiritual provision that God supplies. Yes, he has a responsibility, but we also need to recognize God supplies. Notice what he says, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, maybe that indicates why Timothy was neglecting the gift of God in his life. Maybe it was fear. Maybe that was his problem. And that fear at times caused him to struggle and neglect. He says, God has not given us a spirit. Now, there the idea of spirit is referring to our inner disposition. We might say that person's very mean-spirited or you have such a kind spirit. Here, that's what he's talking about, Timothy's nature, his disposition. The Bible tells us when we get saved, the spirit of God enters inside of our human spirit and awakens our human spirit as the spirit of God himself comes inside of us. It produces a change. And as a result of what God supplies by his spirit entering in, Paul says here, this is what our inner nature should not be like. And then he also says, this is what it should be like. What it should not be like, he says, first of all, verse seven, is that God has not given to us inwardly a spirit of fear. This is very important that we recognize God is not behind the influence of a spirit of fear when it arises within us at times, that God is not the origin of that. A spirit of fear refers to being afraid or intimidated, worried or alarmed. The Greek term literally there could probably best be translated cowardice. And what the Bible's saying is that the origin of us being cowardly, fearful, panicked, worried, terrified, that's never from God. Because God is a good, loving father. And just like any father with his love makes his family feel safe and secure, God wants us to know and God has the power that's able to take care of anything in our lives to protect us, provide for us, strengthen us, support us. So that should make us secure. And see, one of the reasons sometimes we are often fearful or have crippling insecurities is we do not fully understand the great love that God has for us. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. The perfecting of God's love in our life drives fear out of our life and causes us to feel a sense of confidence, not in self, but confidence in the incredible love of God. So when you find yourself, when I find myself maybe being cowardly or, or, or lacking courage or being intimidated or fearful, we have to know those feelings are stemming from our natural man, actually from our lower nature, our sinful nature. That the origin of that fear is not from God. Maybe this morning even you're struggling with being alarmed or panicked over some issue in your life. I want you to know that struggle is due to your fallen nature ruling over you in that area. And listen, let's be honest. We can all develop a spirit of fear and cowardice in our lives. There are lots of different things that cause that. Sometimes we have a, a fear of the future. Well, what if this happens? What if this doesn't ever happen? And, and, and how am I going to handle when that happens? Or maybe we have a fear of failure. What if it doesn't work out? And we have a fear of failure. Sometimes we have a fear of other people's opinion or a fear of something bad happening or a fear of struggling Jesus with people or a fear of serving God. Sometimes we have a fear of, of confronting and working through relationship problems or we have a fear of getting close to people. 
Sometimes we have a fear of stepping into maybe some new thing that God's leading us to do or whatever it may be. Look, the Bible's saying God's, not in, God's intention is not that we be fearful. That's not God's intention. Meek, humble, confident, yes, but God doesn't want us to be lacking courage and cowardly and alarmed. So he says, after he tells us God's not giving fear, he emphasizes three words of what God's intention would be for our inner nature. God doesn't want us to have a spirit of fear and cowardice, but he says rather that we'd have a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's the disposition that should be within us when God's spirit is at work in our life in its healthy way. That we would have a spirit of power. Again, so often a spirit of fear does what? It paralyzes me. And it paralyzes me from doing the things I ought to do that are right, whatever that may be in our lives. And so fear cripples people. And it paralyzes us from doing what we should do and it weakens us. And the Bible says, listen, God has given to you his spirit, the spirit of God himself. God has given you a part of himself in his spirit that you may experience a spirit of power. And that word power there is where we get our English word dynamite. It's the Greek term dunamis where we get English dynamite. It refers to having a dynamite like power that has tremendous effect on its surroundings. Last I checked, you light off a stick of dynamite, things aren't going to be the same afterwards around it. Right? It's going to have an influential effect. There's going to be an impact. The believer should have a dynamic quality to their spirit and their inner nature that influences people around them. You should have a dynamic to your life because you're in relationship with God, a strength of character that you have a great influence on the world. Our life when we're in relationship with God should be marked by a dynamic power from his spirit to have impact on people. Again, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when the disciples were fearful about going out and serving or sharing the gospel, he said, but you shall receive power, dunamis, dynamic, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, to share the gospel and influence the world. Again, the life of a believer, listen, the life of a believer should not be forceful or pushy. But the life of a believer should be influential. And if you have influence, you don't have to be pushy and you don't have to be forceful. But there should be that dynamic of power from God's spirit in our lives. He also says in verse 7 here, we should also have a spirit of love. And that's that Greek term agape, the unconditional love that God has. And again, a spirit of fear sometimes causes us to struggle with expressing love. We're hindered. But Romans 5 says God has poured into our hearts by his spirit love. That the love of God's been poured into our lives. We've been given God's love by experience with God who is love. God's the origin of this kind of love. It's unconditional love. It's not normal love. It's a love that doesn't have to be treated a certain way. It's not a natural love. It's a supernatural love that has its origin in God alone. And it only is experienced when you're having an experience with God. But when you're having an experience with God, something changes. See, my natural man is innately selfish and only concerned about myself and caring for my own interests. But when you have an encounter with an all-loving God that just blows your mind with his love and just pours his love into your life like an overflowing cup, the love of God 
is poured into your life supernaturally and all of a sudden you find that you have a love for people that's just not natural, but it's God's love from God's Spirit that's been put into your heart by Him because Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. So the characterizing and defining mark of a Christian above all else should be love. Love. That we're caring people. That our disposition is other-centered and servant-hearted and sacrificial and we have a unique interest in being kind and being caring to people. And it's something that God has put there. See, the problem with being cowardly, as the spirit of fear talks about, the problem with cowards, think of this, the problem with cowards is a lack of love. A coward only cares about themselves. And so they think about their own self-interest, what would preserve them, what would protect them. What, and that's what cowardliness is. It's only thinking about because I'm afraid, what's best for me? How can I protect myself? How can I do what's in my self-interest? But love overcomes cowardice. And love says, no matter what it costs, I want what's best for God. I want what's best for other people because you have this love working within your life. The final thing he says we should experience from God's spirit is not only power and love, but he says also we've now received a sound mind. The term there means self-discipline or self-control. The idea is a mind that's under control rather than out of control. That we're stable mentally, that we're a stable person emotionally. Part of the salvation experience is a powerful restoring of the mind of a person. The Bible says we receive the mind of Christ. And I don't know about you, but all that stuff that was damaged and defiled in my mind when God's Spirit comes upon your life, God wants to restore that. He wants to restore minds and renew minds. And a believer can now become a person who's sensibly minded, that thinks clearly, that makes good decisions. You live a balanced, solid life. God wants us to have a measure of discipline in our lifestyle and our passions and habits to be under control. We can live within boundaries. We have a sound mind. We're a stable person, mentally, emotionally. There's an orderliness and a healthy reasoning that governs our life. And though as God's Spirit is working within us, yes, we wrestle through things, we no longer as a Christian need to be someone who's marked by instability or, or someone who's always unpredictable or unreliable or unsteady. Instead, we can have a sound mind. God can make you a stable person in your reasoning and in your lifestyle that you have that sound measure of discipline. Hey, this morning, perhaps you sense that your spiritual fire is not what it should be. Perhaps this morning you're here and you say, you know what, honestly, if I were to be true, I lack God's power in my life right now. Or I lack the love that I wish I had. Or I lack just my mind being sound. I lack self-control. My suggestion is this. Get alone with God and say, God, would you pour out a fresh work of your spirit into my life? Shall we stand together and pray?